Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Good morning, Lighthouse. Let the earth be filled with the glory of God. Amen. That's what we're after. So I'm starting a new series today. I'm so glad you're in this place. Is anybody else glad to be here? I'm starting a new series that is entitled, The Kingdom of God is Like. We're going to be spending a few weeks on the kingdom of God. It's important for you to get a hold of this because this, honestly, is the reason why the church is here. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to talk about what the church means. And then from there, uh, talk about certain sections of scripture. And, and then from this point on, the next few weeks, talk about the kingdom. Uh, because how many people know that we're living still in the kingdom? Amen? Right? So... Again, the kingdom of God is like, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't simply come to bring a process by which we get saved. Some people, and a lot of churches live this way, they say, okay, Jesus came to get us redeemed, to get us saved, and then we just hang on till heaven comes. That's not it. Did you know that's not it? That's not Christianity. That's not the church. It was never supposed to be a get out of jail card free. Right? That's not what it's supposed to be. It isn't supposed to be that we get saved, we gather as many people as we can, and we have some fantastic dinners. Though I do like dinners, that wasn't supposed to be the main focus of the church or the kingdom, okay? The main focus was, his life basically was a demonstration and revelation of the kingdom of God, right? His teaching was about establishing the power of the kingdom. What you're going to see in, I think it's Matthew 18, where he goes, the kingdom of God is like, you remember? And he repeats it several times. He talked about the kingdom continuously. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. He gave 12 simple men this message and asked them to run with it and transform the world. And I believe it's still being established to this day. Come on, I believe it, right? How many people know there's light against dark? Is that true? What's happening in the world and the morality or the lack of morality in the world versus the morality that's in the church or supposed to be outside of the church, amen, in Christians' lives, right? It's a kingdom. It's a battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Can somebody say amen, right? It's still being established, The first mention of the word kingdom in the New Testament, the first mention about this new kingdom that was coming was by John the Baptist himself when he told the people, and I'm going to show it to you right here, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what he was doing, baptizing people, and what was he saying? He goes, get ready, there's a king, because you can't have a kingdom without a king. Right? So get ready. The king is coming with his kingdom. I'm preparing the way of the Lord, right? For Jesus to come. Now, the interesting thing is, if you know, they called him the second Elijah because he literally was preparing the way of the Lord. So he's preparing the way for the kingdom. So John the Baptist had some kind of understanding that the kingdom was coming. Come on, somebody, right? Okay. Now, we'll keep going with this. The first mention of the kingdom in relation to Jesus, and I'll show you that, is found in Matthew chapter 4. This was after he had been tempted in the wilderness. Remember, for 40 days he fasted, and then the devil came to him and tried to tempt him. And right after that, John the Baptist got thrown in jail. And right after that, he says, or this, this is declared, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Now, why is he saying it has come near? Because he hadn't died on the cross and been resurrected, so it wasn't fully established. But he was starting to set the ground, the ground rules, the, the foundation for this thing called the kingdom. It's important that you get this, okay? Because we need to have a radical paradigm shift in our thinking about church, and I'm hoping to start that this morning, okay? So Jesus said, it has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So this concept of the kingdom was introduced at the very beginning of the gospels or the very beginning of Jesus's ministry to reveal to them, come on, his purpose on earth. That was his purpose on earth. Behold, from that point on, he began to display the kingdom, right? Display the kingdom. Now you need to understand this is a couple facts I want to give you because historically this is very, very, very interesting. Well, it's interesting to me. It might not be to you, but pretend, okay? You need to understand that the Roman Empire, there has never been an empire like the Roman Empire to this day. Never. The United States doesn't compare. They conquered the entire known world. They conquered the entire known world. They conquered all the way up through Europe, which is a long way from, the, you know, from Italy, if you know the map, all the way down into Africa, all the known world they had conquered. They were in control. And it's interesting. I heard someone say this week, I thought it was very interesting. People have asked, why did Jesus return when he returned? Why didn't he return now? Or why didn't he return before or during the Babylonian period? I, you know, this guy said, and I think it's very, very accurate. He goes, the reason he returned during the Roman Empire is because one of the things the Romans did that was very good is they built roads everywhere, two and two so that the gospel could be proclaimed everywhere because it was easier for them to travel. Also, the Romans, when they conquered the world, they, they, they required everybody to speak the same language, Latin. So guess what? What a great time to send the king of the world. He wouldn't have to learn 50 different languages and speak in 27 different tongues. Come on. He could just declare the word of the Lord in a language, and it would be known throughout the empire, and they would easily be accessible to all the different regions, be accessible. That makes sense, right? Come on, somebody, right? Makes sense. So they had conquered and created all these roads to access the rest of the world. They had also conquered Greece, the, the Greek culture. The Greek culture they found very interesting because there was things about the Greek culture that, that made sense, if I could say it. The Greeks had refined. If, if you know anything about the Greek culture and have studied it all, you realize that a lot of what we deal with today is from the Greeks. Did you know that democracy comes from the Greeks? Some of you not, might not know that, but over 2,000 years ago, they um, basically came up with this idea. And so the, a lot of what we even experience today, like our Senate and Congress and all the different branches of government, is Greek. Okay? So what happened is they, they, they took over the Greek, uh, the Greece, the conquered Greece, took over the Greek culture, and they implemented some of their traditions because they were good. So that's why when we read the Bible, what is the New Testament written in? Greek. So they didn't just, most of the cultures, a lot of the cultures, they'd come in and just completely wipe out their culture and reestablish it with the Roman culture. But there they didn't do that because, they, hey, we can glean a lot from what they are and who they are. So they took a lot of information from them and mixed it with what they believed, okay? So why is that important? Because the word kingdom in the original Greek right? The word kingdom in the original Greek means basilia or, bas, you know, however you want to say it. But that's what it means. That's the original Greek term right there. It means empire or reign. So when he said the kingdom of God is near you or has come, he's saying the reign or the empire of the kingdom of God is here. 
So they would have understood. They would have understood the reign is about ready to start of God in his kingdom on earth. Amen? Again, this is important as I go forward because I'm going to discuss more terms that really mean a lot. So behold, the reign or empire of God has come. He then, uh, in, in Matthew, describes how he's going to take this message of the kingdom and get it out there to take over the world, okay? He then describes it. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, again, those that don't have your Bibles, I'm always amazed at how you're able to memorize Scripture. It's crazy, amazing, awesome. So he says, the kingdom has come near. Repent for the kingdom has come near. John the Baptist said it. Then Jesus said it. And then he gives us this aspect, this this vessel that's going to be used. And let's read. It goes, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? So he's asking them, what are they they saying about me? What do they say that I am? Who do they say I am? He goes, listen, they replied. This is really freaky. Some say John the Baptist. Why is that freaky? Because the guy had gotten his head cut off. No, isn't that, I mean, I would hope if I said, who do you think I am? You guys wouldn't be saying somebody that was like dead. It's a little, little cringy. Other person says Elijah, who had died hundreds of years before. Still others said Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So they're throwing out all these things that they've heard people say that he was. But then he says, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? He was addressing Peter. And Simon Peter answers and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Right? Now catch this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the actual Messiah. Now, I want to break this section of scriptures down because it literally is the revelation that Jesus gave to his disciples of how they were going to spread this kingdom through this thing called the church, okay? But before I say that, I want to clear up something that a lot of times people get messed up with this set of scriptures because they think that they're saying that on Simon Peter, he's going to build his church. That is not what he's saying. Because if you look at the original Greek, the word Peter means pebble. He's not going to build his church upon a pebble. He says, I'm going to build my church upon a rock. What's the rock? It's the statement that Peter said that Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm not being anti-Catholic, but I grew up Catholic, and they honor Peter because they interpret the Scripture to mean Peter is what they that Jesus built the church on. He didn't build the church on Peter. Thank God he didn't build the church on Peter because Peter was a meathead. Because right after he, no, come on, read your scriptures. Right after he makes this declaration to Jesus, a chapter later, he's going, you know, he's trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross, and he and, and Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, it's not Peter that he built the church on. It's the statement and the declaration. And why do we know that? Because it says, you did not get that revealed to you by your flesh, but by the heavenly Father. So he goes, Simon goes, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Listen. Jesus commended him, and I'm just going to, this is a pit stop. I'm giving you something extra this morning. It really doesn't have a lot to do with my message, but it's so relevant for today. Peter got this revelation through the Spirit. 
Come on, somebody. He got it through the Spirit. That's how God still speaks. If you don't take the time to hear the voice of the Lord, you will struggle to get revelation. If you want, come on, if you want heavenly revelation, if you want to hear the voice of God, then you need to practice the discerning of understanding and hearing his voice. What does that mean? You push away all other voices because I know, come on, we're not crazy. How many people hear voices? I hear tons of voices. I hear voices to do this and do that. And a lot of them are stupid, right? You know, here, come on, you hear what I'm saying? We're always being constantly bombarded with noise. Once in a while, anybody ever have ringing in their ears? I get ringing in my ears once in a while, and it's so annoying, right? It's so annoying. The other day, I was at the volleyball game. I got to go back and watch my daughter play this year. Woo, first time. And there was a fan making a ringing noise, and I'm like, oh, that is so annoying. My ears drive me nuts. So finally, I sat there, I looked at my wife, I'm like, are you hearing ringing? And she goes, yeah, it's the fan. It was just like, and it was literally, I was having a hard time focusing on the match because it's like, sound was going on. Sometimes I had, you know, I had to push that sound to the side. I had to ignore that sound. We've got to learn what it is to push those sounds to the side if we want to hear the voice of the Lord. Because very rarely does the voice of the Lord thunder. It's usually a whisper. It's a whisper. It's a sense. And, 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 and this is this really, I don't want to say it, but this bizarre thing where Christians think that you're going to hear the voice. I don't hear the voice of the Lord. I sense the voice of the Lord, if that makes sense. I don't hear an audible voice. That has never happened to me. Never. I've never seen an angel, never heard the audible voice of the Lord. But I sense it. I might see a picture. I get something, and that's how the Lord speaks to me. And so guess what? I have to declutter my mind in order to hear what God is saying. Anybody here? When I'm, I'm preparing my message, I've got to declutter my mind of all the responsibilities of pastor to hear what the Spirit is saying. So he's still doing the same thing. So he commends, Jesus commends Peter and says, you know what? I'm actually kind of surprised. You heard God's voice. We're getting somewhere. Think about it. He'd been dealing with these knuckleheads for a long time, right? They're getting somewhere. So again, that's how we hear for the voice of the Lord. It's important to know that. That was just extra free of charge. Okay, Jesus then declares that on the truth of this statement, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He makes this declaration. He goes, I'm going to build my church. Now, when I mention the word church, and I know there's reasons that we do this, but when I mention the words church, many times what we think about is a building, right? What church do you go to? Well, I go to the church across from the acorn, or I go to Victory, or I go to New Life, whatever it is. You, 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 you basically compare it to a building. And I think for the most part, people know this is not church. This is church. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church. We're the body of Christ, but we are the church. The church isn't, you know, doesn't contain structural stuff, lights, doesn't contain praise and worship, preaching. That's not the church. The church is this. The church is flesh and blood. It's a living organism. It's a living organism. It's not a building. And I understand there's times we call places churches, but the, the, the term here, what Jesus was saying, is I'm going to build my church. He was talking about the people. And I'm going to prove, to that, prove that to you in a second. The second thing I want you to notice real quick is this. Do you notice he says, I'm going to build my church? He doesn't say churches. 
we're really good. Humans are really good at building churches. And I'm talking about structures. I'm talking about denominations. There's so many denominations now, right? If you like to have your meal at a certain time, there's a denomination for that. If you like to have communion every single week, there's a denomination for that. If you like the pastor to give a 20-minute sermonette, there's a denomination for that. If you want to sing hymns, there's denominations for that. If you want to say, I'm going to preach like this and Jesus is going to get you down, yeah, there's denominations for that. There's denominations for everything. Every type of emotion, every type of connection, anything we want, you can find it. But ultimately, Jesus said, when I'm going to build my church, it's going to be a church, not churches. Why is this important? Come on. Because we should have more in common across denominational lines than we do not in common. And most of the time that's the case. But you never see us cross denominational lines. Never. Did you, I, I bet you some of you don't even realize we're an American Baptist church. What does that mean? I have no idea. I'm assembly of God. What does that mean? I'm non-denominational. You know what that is? You have no clue who you are. I'm Pentecostal. No, I'm, come on. And everybody has their own, you know, flavor. How are they? And, and, and everybody thinks they have it right. But the sad thing is when Jesus declared that he was going to build his church, it was his, not ours, his church, it was one, one body. And I'm not saying that we should have one church in Canton, but we should be able to get together once in a while and worship the same God. Oh, I can't get together without church because they speak in tongues. Isn't that ridiculous? I can't, I can't go to church with them. Because, I, I literally heard this before, this service that was a unity service, community service up at North Street. And I had some pastors say that they didn't want to get involved because it was too charismatic. I'm like, explain charismatic. And it wasn't the pastors from North Street. It was somebody else. And they go, you know, all that clapping and raising hands. I'm like, oh, that's charismatic. No, actually, it's in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Psalm 150 says the dance. Sorry, sorry, not my idea, God's. You see what I'm saying? And we've made divisions. I'm beating this thing way too hard. But we made divisions. It's big to me because it was big to my father-in-law. And he taught me that unity in the spirit brings a commanded blessing, Psalm 133. A commanded blessing is released from God when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, and the devil has tricked us into separating ourselves based on some of the dumbest things. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you get saved through Jesus' name? Yes. Let's get together. I mean, if you handle snakes, that might be a dividing line for some of you, but some of you probably love it. Crazy people. Now, I need you to get this. When Jesus, please, the rest of this is really important. This is the main, this is the meat. I'm, just, I'm taking the steak off the grill and I'm giving it to you. Here we go. Ready? When he used the term church, right? Catch this. It was not a new term. Listen, it was not a new term. He did not create this word church. It was an original Greek term. You need to get that because in our minds, we have made it and homogenized it to mean something Christian or something to do with gathering people in a building. When we heard the word church that you think of, what church are you talking about? The church up there or the church down there? See, back in that day, 2,000 years ago, it was not a religious term. It was a governmental term. Ready? I'm going to put it up right here. This is what it was. It was called Ecclesia, 
Ecclesia, however you want to say it. It was an assembly of adult male citizens which had the ultimate decision-making power in the Greek state. It was a group of men that would come together and legislate the region. Okay, now I hope, I hope your mind is starting to think. So, you know, it was a, and on my terms, it was a group of people that came together to govern that region that they were assigned to. Why is that important? Because when Jesus used the word church, they knew exactly what he meant. He goes, I am going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my council. I'm going to build my Congress. I'm going to build my Senate. I'm going to build my government. And it will impact the region. See, the ecclesia of the, the Romans, the Greek culture, was an assembly. It was an assembly of people that would come together and make the laws, to, to basically the jurisdiction's laws, over that region. Can I say something? Where's the church today if that's what we're supposed to be doing? If we're supposed to be governing our areas. Now, some of you right away are thinking government. I'm not talking about earthly government. That is so screwed up. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Come on, somebody. Bless them. <laughs> Come on. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven government. How many people know democracy and the kingdom are two different things? We're going to get into that more in the future. But the kingdom has a king that rules. Democracy, the people are supposed to rule. In the kingdom, you have no say. Oh, you love that. I got to vote. No, you don't. Not in the kingdom. Okay, anyway, we'll get into that as we go on. The word was a, was a Greek term called ecclesia. It meant assembly of citizens. So when Jesus used this term, the d- disciples knew exactly what he was saying. They understood. Behold, the kingdom of God has come, and I will create a church or an ecclesia, an assembly of people to, to continue this kingdom. What was the first church that he built without naming it? The disciples. That was his first church. It was the first group of people that he was empowering with the message to change the culture around them. And what happened after a period of time? He began to send them out, and they began to bring the kingdom to their region. We're going to talk about that more. I don't have time this morning, but you need to get this. Understand, the term church is not what we believe it is today. It is so less today than it was supposed to be. We need to understand that, okay? Now, this is important. I'm going to end with this, and this is my favorite part. When he goes, I will build my church, here it is, I will build my ecclesia, and he goes, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, it sounds cool, right? You know, um, you go build a church and the gates of hell can't come against us. What does that even mean? What is like the gate of hell moving around? <laughs> like trying to block. A gate is a, a fixture, right? It's a stationary thing. But you need, again, a, a, when the Greek language is, was interpreted into English, and some of you that have studied this will understand, sometimes it's very hard. And even today, if you take the English language and you know, interpret it, have somebody interpret it into another language, sometimes it's hard. Things are lost in the translation. You understand what I'm saying? So when they use the word hell, which is what I'm going to talk about this, gates of hell, when they use that term hell in the original language, there was more than one hell meaning. But what happened is when it got interpreted into the English, it all became one. There was stuff lost in translation, and I'm going to show you that this morning. So 
Stay with me, please. This is, I know a lot of teaching this morning, but it's important you get this. The term hell, the word hell, had three different Greek words. They were Gehana, Shoal, and Hades. How many people have some Bibles that will actually interpret them once in a while, Hades or Shoal, right? You never rarely see Gehana, you usually see hell. But most of the time, what they did is when the King James Version, when they interpreted the Scriptures, they just put a blanket statement over all three and just called them hell. The problem with that, when I tell you what the word hell means, usually you think of the place of suffering forever and ever. But that's not what this means here. And you got to get this. This is, this is powerful. This is going to set you free this morning. Here are the three words. Gehana in the original Greek meant the place for eternal damnation after judgment. That was the place of suffering. That is the place after judgment you go forever and ever and ever. That's the place you don't want to go to. Now, if you do a, a word study on the word hell, you'll see that used quite often in Scripture. The second is Sheol. How many people have a Bible once in a while that'll interpret? I used to have a Bible that would say Sheol, right? That basically was a place where souls remain until the final judgment. It was the philosophy of the Greeks that after you die, you're somewhere, whether it's in heaven, whatever, that's debatable theology, whatever, I'm not going to get into this morning, but it was that place before judgment. Gehana was that place after judgment if you were going eternally to hell. Place before judgment. And then Hades simply means grave. Now in this scripture, in this sentence, it says, I'm going to do it right. It goes, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. How many people have their Bibles that says Hades? Yeah, King James. The gates the gates of Hades will not prevail. What is this saying? It's exciting. Ready? The gate of of the grave. What is that saying? He's prophesying his future. He goes, I'm going to build my church and it's not going to stop at my death and resurrection. Come on, somebody. It's not going to stop just because I die. It's not going to stop just because you die. It's not going to be stopped because your sons die. It's going to keep going on. The gate of the grave can't stop it. Doesn't that make sense now? When you're reading it, you're thinking, oh my goodness. I will build my council, I'll build my group of people that are going to take the kingdom, and it's not going to stop when I die or at the end of your generation. So those people that say the kingdom is done, it was done after, you know, we, we call people, they don't believe in the gifts after that, you know, they, they believe it stopped at the end of the first generation. No, this is saying from generation to generation to generation to generation, the kingdom is going to keep going on. And it's going to continue to be established, even today. But the problem is, and I'm going to get into it in the next several weeks, is we've lost the vision of what the kingdom actually is. We have taken the message of the kingdom down to meeting on a Sunday morning, having a good service, wrapping it up with a bow, and sending you out to fend for yourself for the week, hoping you don't get crushed under the weight of the evil and the sin and all the temptations that are out there, somebody say amen. When instead, and I'm just giving you a little preview for the coming weeks, you get the message of the kingdom and you go and take it out to wherever you go and you are winning the battle every single day. You see, because the Bible calls you what? Ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is one sent by the king or sent by the emperor or sent by the ruler in his name, with his seal, with his power to proclaim what's on his heart. Can you, for a moment, 
imagine if you truly believe that you were an ambassador of the king, that you were part of this kingdom that was supposed to be out there transforming society. You know, we listen, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I love the fact that we're going to vote and hopefully vote in the right person and so forth and so on. But honestly, that's not, that's not the answer, people. It's, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're all worried about November 3rd election, get over yourself. There is a king that will reign forever and ever, and he is in charge, and his plans will come to pass, and his kingdom will still go out there. There's still going to be people saved. There's still going to be people filled. There's still going to be lives transformed, and there's still going to be regions transformed. Why? Because his kingdom's greater than the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes I think we put all our eggs into this earthly basket, throw them into the other baskets. I'd rather have my basket in the kingdom of God. But can you imagine a group of people, even this size, that left this place today and said, I'm part of the kingdom. I've been sent by Jesus. I have his signet ring. What he says, you know, or what I say, he has said. How would you approach your day? Totally different. But now we think the church is just this gathering place where we, you know, have a good message, sing some worship, pray a little bit, maybe have a good meal. And you go on your way and you just, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it this week. I'm going to make it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. By Friday, you're like, I hate everybody. I hate, I hate myself. I hate my life. I hate everything. It's your life. And then you come to church, you come in, you're like, feed me. Shut up, Jackie. I don't want to worship. I'm miserable. You sing for me. That's why you're up there. No one's ever done that right. Coming all grumpy and miserable like, I just need. And there's times you're going to drag in this place. But if you're dragging in this place every week, you're not part of the kingdom. You're part of the, new, you know, you're basically part of this thing called the church that we've created that is not God. You're going to have tough weeks. In this life, you'll have tribulation. Get over it. You're going to have tough weeks. But it doesn't change the fact that you're still part of this kingdom. So whatever job you work, wherever you go, whatever people you interact with, God has placed the kingdom inside of you to take it there. I will build my assembly, and wherever they go, the grave, the gates of the grave won't stop it. I love that. Why do I love that? Because my grandpa and my great-grandpa, my great-great-grandpa, and all through generations, people have been laying the kingdom, and we're just standing upon it. The worst thing we can do is just make this a group of people and try to grow it as big as we can. That's not the kingdom. That's Western culture church. Let's build assembly of people that know why they're called, know what they're called to, and empower them to go out and make radical change. Amen? See, when you start thinking this way, you have no room to feel shame. You have no room to throw pity parties. Oh, come on, think about that. You have no room to go, <laughs> can't do it. I'm, I'm sent by the king. I have a job to do. I'm sent by the king. I'm sent by the king. I'm sent with a powerful message from the king. I'm sent to go out there wherever I go and bring the kingdom. I'm sent to bring the light of Jesus into every situation. I'm sent to bring hope. I'm sent to bring peace and joy and love in the Holy Ghost. I'm sent. 
And when you start thinking like that, all of a sudden you go from the weight is on my shoulders to no, actually the weight isn't on my shoulders. It's on his shoulders. I'm just doing what he's telling me to do. And that's the beautiful thing apart. You know, can I tell you one of the things that set me free? Because when I realized it was his kingdom, not mine, if you don't receive the gospel, I don't get upset about it. He sent me. I'm just a messenger. You ever do that? Don't scream at the messenger. Quit taking it personal. If you pray for somebody and somebody doesn't want it, don't sit there and go, oh, my gosh, they rejected me. No, actually, no, they didn't. You're not that good. They rejected Jesus. Set you free. You walk different. You talk different. So I want you to get that. One last time. The Ecclesia. It's a gathering of people, governmental term used, gathering of people with the message and the heartbeat of the king or the emperor or the leader to go out there and spread the good news, to establish the kingdom. And the grave did, 2,000 years ago, the grave did not stop it. When all the disciples died, it did not stop it. It is still being preached. It's still being established. Why do I say this to this church? And I'm not saying this because we're better than anybody else. You need to get that. This, it's every, how many people know every church has a different flavor and call, right? Everybody, I call it, has a different lane to go in. When my father-in-law came here 30-some years ago, his message, without a doubt, was this message of being a place of the presence of the Lord, but impacting the region. He was all about the region, always making a difference in the region. And as I began to study this, I started to realize, if I go, you know, this simple question, like, Cindy, where is, where is Walmart in Mansfield? You could tell me right exactly where it was. But then I started hearing people like this where they go, where is Lighthouse? Oh, never heard of it. And I thought, that's a problem. That's a problem when the region doesn't know we're here. And in that, I started saying, you know what? What can we do to be impactful out there? And we've tried to do that. Purposely tried to do that. Purposely tried to bless our region. Purposely tried to get involved with even in the affairs of our region. Why? Because we're establishing a kingdom that's greater than the one here. Somebody say amen. That's what we're called to do. It's that simple. It's that simple, it's, it's, but it's a change in thinking because we've been convinced that the church is just us gathering together, getting big crowds, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, it's not negative, but that is so much less than what God has called us to. Amen? And so why don't you stand with me? We're going to close. I know I talk fast. Did anybody get that? Did you get that, what it means, the church? Ecclesia. Look it up. If you don't believe me, you'll be shocked. It's true. I wouldn't lie to you. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that this message would begin to stir us into a new era in this body. I, I seriously pray that. I pray that this church, Father, would become what you desire it to become, which is a kingdom center, a kingdom center that sends, receives, raises up, and impacts this region powerfully. And so, Father, whatever you need to do to orchestrate that, whatever you need to do to put the pieces in place, Father, we give you permission to do that. And right now, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that this message, this series of messages would begin to resound in our hearts and begin to make us imagine and think and dream in ways we never thought of before. Because, Father, if we can grasp this message, if we can get this message into our head, God, it will revolutionize the way we do church. And while we're at it, God, and while we do that, it will also revolutionize this region. It'll change this region. We'll bring the kingdom of God to this region. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.